Good morning, Nashville. My name is Braden Gall, and this is the 440 for Tuesday, November 17th. The governor of Maryland and the mayor of Baltimore announced on Monday that the Titans-Ravens game, scheduled for Sunday at noon Central Time, will not have any fans. After allowing 10% capacity for most of the month, the Ravens have announced that due to rising COVID infection rates and hospitalizations in the area, that M&T Bank Stadium simply cannot handle having fans in the stands this weekend. Does it impact the game at all? I am not sure. Maybe it gives the Titans a slight edge with the building being empty and lifeless. It certainly sucks for those Titans fans who had bought tickets and were set to travel to Baltimore for a huge rivalry game. But it's the right call for safety reasons. And frankly, I think I'd rather play the Ravens in front of no fans than some fans, right? Since South Carolina now has a coaching vacancy and other fan bases around the SEC, looking at you, Vanderbilt, Tennessee, and Auburn, are getting a little antsy with their coaches, let's take a look at some of the head coaching candidates you need to know before we head into what could be the silliest of silly seasons in college football. Liberty's Hugh Freeze is the top name everybody wants, and without question, the dude will recruit and win. But he's persona non grata within most SEC circles right now, and it would take a strong athletic department, board of trustees, and a lot of Axe body spray to wash off the stench when you hire him. But if you're South Carolina or Auburn, and you need to recruit against Clemson, Florida, Georgia, Alabama, and LSU, you could do a lot worse than freeze. I couldn't care less about what a man and a woman decide to do within their own marriage, and neither does the SEC or fans. But you can bet that the SEC and decision makers care deeply about lying, cheating, and being holier than thou to the NCAA. That's just asking for more trouble, and it's why he's not particularly well-received in the SEC right now. There are some sitting Power 5 coaches to consider as well. Matt Campbell at Iowa State, Jeff Brom at Purdue, P.J. Fleck at Minnesota, Scott Satterfield at Louisville could all be interested in the SEC patch on that shoulder pad and the big money contracts that come along with it. These would be the names I would be looking at if I was in charge at Auburn or Tennessee. Firing Gus Malzahn for an unproven group of five coach seems like a dumb move, and the same kind of goes for Tennessee, who likely needs one more year to see if Jeremy Pruitt can right the ship or not. Unless, that is, you could land a guy like Campbell, who has already proven he can flat-out coach at a high level in the Power 5 ranks. Billy Napier at Louisiana is an intriguing name for any program in the SEC. He's a winner, an excellent recruiter, has deep ties to the Southeast, and is ready to jump to the Power 5 ranks. He is the perfect fit for South Carolina, in my opinion. Will Healy at Charlotte, formerly, of course, of Austin P, has shown the ability to create culture out of thin air, and it's led to a lot of winning. He also has deep ties to the Southeast as well and has a ton of upside. He's a bit of a riskier pick considering his teams haven't won as much and he hasn't coached at a very high level yet. But the risk-reward could totally be worth it for a place like, say, Vanderbilt. There's a lot of James Franklin to Healy's game, and I just mean all the good stuff, I promise. The best retread assistant out there is Alabama offensive coordinator Steve Sarkeesian, who is, if he's focused and on track, has proven to be a pretty good coach and has tons of experience running big programs at both Washington and USC, albeit not all that well. And now he's got the official stamp of approval from the Nick Saban Coaching Rehabilitation Clinic. A couple of veterans to consider would be Buffalo's Lance Leipold and Army's Jeff Munkin. Munkin has ties to the South Carolina president and could be a factor in the South Carolina job and is a proven winner. Questions remain about his offensive system in the SEC, but he's a hell of a coach. Leipold is older but has a proven track record of building a culture of development and winning everywhere he's been. He's a proven commodity whose upside may be a little limited but offers very little downside. 
Jimmy Chadwell at Coastal Carolina and Luke Fickle at Cincinnati are also two very important names to remember as well. If I was running all of these programs, here's how I would put the puzzle together. Assuming I had to make a move on all these coaches. I would hire Billy Napier at South Carolina. I would hire Hugh Freeze at Auburn. I would hire Will Healy at Vanderbilt. And I would hire Matt Campbell at Tennessee. That's just what I would do. And these are just names to consider at this point, college football fans. The Tennessee Athletic Department is bracing for a $40 million shortfall this fiscal year due to COVID. There are days and weeks and months worth of podcasts that we could spend talking about how major college football programs spend money in a wildly irresponsible manner, building 150-foot waterfalls for no reason at all other than Alabama's is taller. These big-budget programs operating this close to the margins was always a super dangerous proposition. But that's not an issue we can fix in the immediate short term, and so athletic departments are doing the only thing that they or any other business knows what to do, cut costs. A big story from the Knoxville News Sentinel on Friday reported that only eight people in the Tennessee Athletic Department refused to take any pay cuts, and all eight are assistant coaches on the football staff. Every right-to-work employee was forced to take a cut, and head coach Jeremy Pruitt, athletic director Philip Fulmer, assistants T. Martin and Jay Graham, along with many others, have elected to take pay cuts. I'm not going to lie, I was pretty pissed off on Friday as an alum. It's terrible for these coaches to look around at dozens and dozens of staffers who work tirelessly to help them, the coaches, do their jobs at a fraction of the salary, taking involuntary pay cuts to help the university while you chose to do nothing. Now, it's within their right to turn down the pay cut because it's in their contract. But this isn't a conversation about what they can or cannot do. It's about what they should do. This isn't about wins or losses or how the team is doing. This is about human decency and do you care about the people around you. And it's why Jeremy Pruitt not only didn't deny the report, but he's leaned into it. At his press conference on Monday, he told the media unprompted that, quote, the situation is fluid regarding pay cuts to his staff and that, quote, they will continue to look and see and meet with our administration to see whatever they can do to help supplement the university. This is a not-so-subtle way of telling the public that he's trying to fix the situation. And I'm proud of him for doing it, frankly. I was proud to see Fulmer take a big-time pay cut. Proud to see Pruitt, Graham, and Martin, and many others step up and do the same thing. I know it's not that simple and that money from column A doesn't exactly go directly to column B. And it's not like it's Jim Cheney's fault that he's got a huge contract and the school is spending like a drunken sailor on waterfalls. But it ain't the guy helping sell season tickets making sixty-five grand a year's fault either. Or the woman running promotional events to help connect the team with the fans who makes seventy-five grand a year. It's not her fault either. And those people are the ones seeing money disappear from their paychecks. That is the dynamic at play here. Anyone making between fifty dollars and $150,000 per year is forced to take an involuntary pay cut of 5%. But the guy making $1.6 million, and oh, by the way, doing his job terribly, I might add, gets to keep every red cent? It's just a really selfish look. It's not illegal, but it does tell me everything I sort of need to know about your character. It tells us how much you care about the people around you. The university would save roughly $300,000 if all eight assistants took their pay cuts, and... That could easily save 8 to 10 people's jobs. Say what you want about Pruitt's ability to handle his quarterbacks or develop some defensive linemen or hire good coaches, but he has been a bona fide leader on a lot of off-the-field stuff this year. He stood up with his players around racial injustice issues in a powerful way. He has leaned into allowing his players to have a voice on social media with name, image, and likeness and appears to be doing the right thing with his coaching staff in this situation. And for those things... 
I am proud to call him the head coach at my alma mater. So do you guys want some interesting gambling stats just for fun here at the end? These numbers are from Alec Cunningham of Play10.com. According to the Tennessee Education Lottery, Tennesseans wagered $27.4 million in the first eight days that gambling was legalized. The sportsbook, or the house, took home roughly $2.5 million in revenue. Again, gambling advice. Treat it as a fun game with small stakes so that you can enjoy more sports and maybe find yourself paying attention to events you wouldn't normally care about. Do not treat it as a way to generate revenue and make money. You are almost certainly going to be disappointed if you do. But man, that's a lot of gambling. Thank you guys all for listening. Please rate, review, and subscribe to the show. Please share it. Tell all your friends about the 440. Follow me on Twitter. My name is Braden Gall, at Braden Gall. You can follow the company, of course, at 440 Sports, as well as at 440 Sports on Facebook, at 440 Media on Instagram. Thank you guys again for listening. This has been the 440 for Tuesday, November 17th. The 440 is a production of 440 Media, written and produced by Braden Gall, music by William Tyler. Thank you.